All right. Good evening to Lighthouse Bible Church. For those of you who are here a couple of minutes early, I just wanted to open up this stream just to make sure that uh, people are able to um, access it and there are no issues. So uh, feel free to use the chat box to your right, I believe, just to give me a heads up and let me know if you are hearing me loud and clear. I'm guessing there may also be a little bit of a time lag, so it might take a little bit of time for you guys to hear what I'm saying and to respond to it as well. All right, Gabe, with the first comment, thank you for letting me know that uh, you can hear me okay. Awesome, thanks, JC, Jay Park. We will be waiting a few more minutes just to let people filter in. All right, so glad to be able to just meet with you guys, even though it's virtual, and I'm glad that you guys can at least see me, even though uh, I, I can't see you guys. But uh, hopefully, you know, we'll be able to work with this format and still get the Word of God uh, to you, because that is one of the essentials, and that's one of the priorities of our church. So we want to make sure that we don't forsake that, uh, even though we can't physically be together. So um, it is 8.30 now, and I do see a fair number of people have joined us, so let's actually get started. So thank you for joining. Uh, thank you for being flexible as we've been figuring out the best way to host this session and just make it accessible for everyone. Um, for those of you who've attended Logos in the past, it's obviously going to be a little bit different. The format's going to change a bit. So rather than split up into our small groups to do observations and go over the exegesis in our individual groups, I'm going to try to bring it a little bit into the teaching. So it's going to be a little bit different, but we'll still work towards the intent of God's word and also the applications for us as well. So um, let me get uh, let me get started with a word of prayer, just to ask for the Lord's help in understanding our text for this evening. Please uh, pray with me, Father God. Thank you so much, Lord, just for the opportunity that we have to be in your word. And although we would much rather be in person, see one another to be able to show love to one another, to serve one another, encourage each other, Lord. We thank you for just the opportunity that we have um, to do this, Lord. Just even um, a little while ago, you know, even 10 years ago, we may not have been able to be so lucky to, to have things like this. So, Father, thank you so much for giving us the chance to study your word together, even though it's in a different format. And I just pray for everybody at home that uh, you would keep them safe, that you would provide for them. Anybody who this may not be feeling well, Lord. I just pray for your mercies on them as well, Lord. But over all of us, as we're going to discuss tonight, we just pray for our souls. We just pray for our walks with you, Lord, because even as uh, diseases and sickness can, can ravage our bodies, Lord, we know that our souls um, are eternal, and it is much more important, Lord, where our souls are at before you. So we thank you again for the time that we can spend in your word, and would you help us and Help us to understand it. Just illuminate your text for us today. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So to get us started, we always want to start off with context, right? And if you guys are used to going through the exegesis worksheet that we typically do, you kind of know the pattern that we go through here. So where are we, where are we in the Bible? We are in the New Testament. We are specifically in an epistle. And the epistle was written by the Apostle Paul. And as we've gone over this epistle for this past year, 
even longer for some of you, we've learned that the Apostle Paul's purpose for writing this book was to remind the Ephesian church of the glorious spiritual resources that God has provided to them in Christ through this redemptive plan that he set through the beginning of time that's brought all these disparate people together into one redeemed community with Christ at the head of it. And then Paul instructs the Ephesian church on how that redemptive work expresses itself in the lives and in the conduct of redeemed people, including the unity of the church in Christ. And also we spent a lot of time talking about proper relationships in the church, in your home and also in the world. So now we find ourselves here all the way at the end of Ephesians. And we have an exhortation to remain strong because we're in a struggle. And in our passage for today, Paul will describe the nature of that struggle and then gives us instruction on how to adequately equip ourselves for that struggle. But before talking about it any further, um, it'd probably be good to read the passage for ourselves. So we'll be in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. So please grab your Bibles or uh, pull up um, that particular verse on however you can access that, some software or on the web. And once you get to Ephesians chapter 6, we'll read that together. Okay, Ephesians chapter 6, and I'll read for us from verses 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. So, over this past semester, we've spent a lot of time in the latter half of Ephesians. And during that time, we've gone over a lot of the practical aspects of what living as a part of Christ's overall body is like. Now, most recently, we've been discussing being filled with the Spirit, and we've talked about wives and husbands, children and parents, bond servants and masters. And then all of a sudden, Paul is now talking about putting on armor, and he's talking about the devil. So we were firmly in this area of practical relationships in the church, you know, people that we see every day and concepts that we understand and deal with on a daily basis. And now all of a sudden we're talking about the devil, about cosmic powers, about spiritual forces of evil. So the question is, did Paul change topics drastically and suddenly here? Are we dealing with some scatterbrained apostle? Or is there some logical thread that we can connect here? So, Let's go through and make some observations in our text for today and see if we can break down this passage and help us understand it a little bit. So keep your Bibles open, and let's keep your eyes on this passage for the, tonight. So if you had to choose between looking at your Bible or, or watching my face, please look at your Bibles, because that's going to be a lot more beneficial for you. So let's start at the top. We read verse 10. What do we see? And this is basically what you guys do in your small groups, but we're going to be going through it much faster. So we see the word finally. Okay, so that tells us something. It tells us where we're at in the overall letter, potentially. We see a command. The command is to be strong. 
And even just in that short verse 10, we see words like strong and strength and might. So we're already getting an idea about what this passage could be about. So the verse is clearly about strength, but we also see very clearly how this strength is then described. And what specifically is the source of the strength or the might that's being described here? And you don't have to look too far to, to understand what that is, because the command here is not just to be strong, but it's to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So clearly, this describes the source of the strength that we're talking about. So if we were outlining this passage, that would be one of our chunks here, uh, strength in the Lord. And I'll go ahead and I'll put um, at least the main outline of this uh, in the chat window as well so that you guys can have that strength in the Lord. Now, moving on, if we go into verse 11, we're told to put on the armor of God. But this isn't just for looks. We're also introduced to an enemy here, the devil, who is, uh, the ESV says, he's scheming against us, and he's not alone. And if we go on to verse 12, we see rulers, we see authorities, we see cosmic powers over the present darkness, we see spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So a lot of these words describe this power that is spiritual on a different plane. And all these point to our second point. Um, if we were to outline this particular text, that would lead us to sort of a, another chunk here of our spiritual opposition. And lastly, in verse 13, we see that we see that verse 13 uses a lot of very particular words. Armor of God, withstand, stand firm. A lot of words about standing. And we see that if you look at this and compare that to verse 11, we see that verse 13 is essentially a restatement of verse 11, using many of the same words in a similar pattern, just to sum up Paul's exhortation after explaining the danger and then the reason for the spiritual armor. And this is also going to serve as an intro or a bridge into the next passage that we're going to cover in a few weeks about the individual pieces of armor. But for tonight, that really rounds out um, our outline for uh, this particular passage, standing firm with the armor of God, standing firm with the armor of God. So back to the question that I originally posed, how does this passage fit in with the rest of Ephesians? So given all the things that we're called to be and called to do in the previous chapters of Ephesians, Paul is now telling the Ephesian church, and also by extension us, that you won't be able to do these things without experiencing some spiritual opposition. In our previous passages, Paul had given us this picture of what life in the body of Christ should be like. But if we think that our Christian life is going to proceed and progress without any resistance, well, he makes it clear here that we're going to be in for a wake-up call. So when things show up in your Christian walk that tempt you, that appeal to your flesh, things that pull you away from the truth and distract you away from the word, things that make it hard, you, you shouldn't be surprised at that. Because there is someone out there who doesn't want you to be filled with the Spirit and is actively sabotaging those efforts. There's someone out there who doesn't want you to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. There's someone out there who doesn't want you to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's someone out there 
who doesn't want you wives to be submissive to your husbands and doesn't want you husbands out there to love your wives as Christ loved the church. He doesn't want children to obey their parents, and he doesn't want parents to bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And he doesn't want us to work as bondservants of Christ. There is someone out there who will stop at nothing to influence you to not walk in the Spirit, but rather to walk according to the world and according to your own flesh. So while it might seem like this passage is coming out of left field, anyone who takes seriously the practical commandments in the previous passages and strives to obey them, they're going to be the target of spiritual attack, and they will need a strength that is not their own. So we're going to dive tonight into this idea of spiritual warfare. Now, when I say that term, spiritual warfare, a lot of you, myself included, we think of things like demon possession, we think of occult practices, we think of voodoo or exorcisms or things like that, or we might think of what we read about in the book of Job, where Satan explicitly afflicted Job with these direct and extreme attacks on his family, on his property, and on his actual physical body. And make no mistake that that kind of spiritual warfare really does exist. It can be very real. But if we only think of those extreme and obvious expressions of demonic activity and spiritual warfare, we might mentally dismiss them as things that don't happen to us. And we might mistakenly think that we aren't also subject to the same spiritual warfare, warfare that somehow we are exempt or that we don't exist in the kind of world where that weird stuff happens. We might think, oh, I'm just a normal Christian living in this prosperous, well-established area of the world. I attend a conservative Bible teaching church with expository preaching. So stuff like what happened to Job and the stuff that I see on TV, that doesn't happen to people like me. So therefore, spiritual warfare is just not that relevant to my typical day-to-day. But brothers and sisters, we are right in the middle of spiritual warfare right now. Spiritual warfare, it doesn't discriminate. It isn't something that's reserved for just the crazies and the charismatic churches of the world. The question isn't whether or not you are in it. You are. The question is whether or not you are properly equipped for it. And this can be a struggle to talk about um, because usually the wartime mentality um, that is being described in this passage seems so far from our everyday reality in our usually comfortable American culture. So it's really foreign to us. And even with our current circumstances with COVID-19, we tend to see this as a, like a biological struggle or a war in epidemiology or a game of statistics. And then we miss the spiritual component of it sometimes. It's really hard to be convinced that there is a spiritual war raging around us when we're sitting in our homes with all of our material comforts and our entertainment available at the tap of the screen and tons of services just willing to come to us and fulfill our every wish without us ever leaving the couch. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't enjoy those things because God's given us those things and we should receive them with thankfulness. But what I'm saying is that these things can often make it harder to see that the reality of our Christian lives is that we are right in the middle of a battleground. And if we're not careful, we'll start to treat serving Christ and following him as if we were volunteers at a soup kitchen or something, not soldiers 
on a battlefield. So the work that Christ has set before us as his followers, it's not done. There's a lot of work to be done. And our enemy, our adversary, he doesn't take any breaks. So let's um, dive a little bit deeper into our text tonight and expand on those outline points that I gave us earlier. So we can see that the struggle is real, but we'll also learn that we have a clear provision and clear instruction in that struggle. So we start off in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So in verse 10, Paul is leaving the believers in the Ephesian church with one last set of exhortations. So finally can mean and probably means the last thing that he wants to talk about. Some commentators also say that he's actually talking about like from now until the end of the age, but I know there's some differences in interpretation there, but this does happen at the end of this letter. So typically the last thing that you want to talk about is the thing that you want people to remember most. And if that were the case, one of the most, most important things worth remembering here is where your strength comes from. So the command that Paul gives is to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. There are a lot of strong words here, literally strong words. And it's going to take strength to live the spiritual life. But it's a strength that you don't have. Paul doesn't say to be strong, period. He says to be strong in the Lord. So this is not a call to just suck it up or dig deep down and find your inner power somehow. This is a call to be both unshakably strong and utterly needy at the same time. Now, how is that possible? Isn't that contradictory? And actually, no, because it is precisely in our weakness that we trust in the strength of our Lord which is more than sufficient for us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, when we are weak, then we are strong because Christ's power is perfected in our weakness. And it's not so much that Christ's power fills in the gaps when we exercise our strength and it's not quite enough and we can get only 80% of the way there and then Christ supplies the other 20% to fill in the gaps. But it's, it's different than that. It's precisely when we are weak, when we are unable that Christ's power supplies all of the strength. So this strength, this might, it's precisely the strength and the might and the power that Paul prays that the Ephesian church would know all the way back in chapter one of Ephesians. So that power was the power that was on display in Christ's resurrection from the dead. That same power is available to you and me in the spiritual battle that we're in. So when God's strength is manifested in his people, he receives all the glory. And we have a tendency to say that I can do it. I can do it. And certainly I say that all the time. But if you don't need God's strength in your life to do what you do, then the glory goes to you, not to the Lord. When we try to do things on our own, outside of the power of God, we are staking claim to a glory that doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. One commentary states, the ever-recurring formula in the Lord indicates the relation to Christ in whom alone the strength can be experienced. This might is Christ, but by faith it becomes our strength. So what is this strength necessary for? Why do we need it? We need it because your enemy, 
is way more than you can handle. And that's our next point, our spiritual opposition. We start to see this in the second half of verse 11. Um, At the end of the verse, it says, against the schemes of the devil, and then continuing in verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So what keeps you from walking in the spirit? Well, before we get to these things, I have to mention that your own sinful flesh is one of those obstacles because there are aspects of the old self that still war against the new man. Uh, If you have ever read the book of Romans, you remember Paul in Romans 7 says, uh, I'll read that for us, Romans 7, 21. I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? What Paul is describing there is that you have got built in obstacles to walking in a manner worthy of your calling. So some of the difficulty is squarely on you and your own flesh. But that's not all. And that's not primarily what we're talking about here. Your flesh is not, if, if your flesh weren't enough of an obstacle, you've also got an enemy who is working actively to destroy you. And he is so dangerous that Paul says that you need to put on spiritual armor to defend yourself. Put on the whole armor of God, all of it. Now, putting on armor, it seems like a good idea here, but it's only something that you would do if you see the need for it. And we see an extremely relevant example in our world right now. Just four months ago, well before you know patient zero in Wuhan ever got sick, if we handed out N95 masks at the church and we asked you to wear them wherever you went outside, you probably wouldn't do it. I mean, there's no doubt that it would protect you during that week, and then you'd be safer wearing it than not wearing it. But uh, it would get in the way. It would be inconvenient. Not to mention that you get really weird looks from people, and when you go to work, people would ask you questions. Why are you wearing a mask? But what about now? When the threat of this life-threatening illness to you and to your loved ones is no longer just a hypothetical but it is an imminent reality, you would absolutely take those masks and you would absolutely put it on. You don't put on armor unless you're convinced of the danger that would require such heavy protection. Now today, many of us feel vulnerable to biological danger. And the question is, do you feel as vulnerable to spiritual danger? And for many of us, the answer is no. Because you might say, I get along fine, I make it through my day, I read my Bible, I pray before meals, I go to Bible study, I go to church, so I'm fine. But Paul here calls all believers to put on the whole armor of God because he knows how much spiritual danger we would be in without it. Because he knows we have an adversary, the devil. Elsewhere in scripture, um, 1 Peter 5.8 This adversary of ours is described as a roaring lion who is prowling around looking for someone to devour. So is this enemy going to find you unarmed, unprotected, and vulnerable, and exposed? Or will he find you protected and prepared for him? Now, in our circles, you may not hear that much about the devil. 
And this could be just an overreaction to some of the more you know, charismatic circles that are just really highly cognizant of the devil and spiritual warfare. And they're captivated by topics like demon possession, casting out demons, you know, binding and loosing Satan. So yes, some of those things are crazy town. And sometimes in our efforts to you know, distance ourselves from the crazy, we de-emphasize the very real influence that the devil has on our spiritual walk. And note that I said that he has influence, not control. As an aside here, if you're in Christ, the devil, no matter how powerful he may be, he's not your Lord. He's not your master. You don't have to obey him if Christ is your Lord. So whenever I hear someone who says that they can't resist sin, in my mind, I'm thinking, yes, you can, because the devil's not your master, is he? The flesh isn't your master, is it? Who is? Although you might feel that you can't resist sin, if Christ is your master, then he has the absolute rule over your life, doesn't he? And doesn't he provide every spiritual resource for you? So if you're saying that you can't resist sin, what you are saying in more words or less is that someone else is ruling over you instead of Christ. So uh, back to you know, the passage at hand, the devil is not a fairy tale. He's not some symbolic representation of evil. He's an actual being, a fallen angel. He literally exists. And if you ignore that fact, you will be unprepared when you're attacked by him. So it's not whether you'll be attacked, but rather it's how you are going to be attacked. You are going to be attacked. That is a certainty. So let's talk about how he's going to attack. When I say attack, some of you may think of the way that Satan attacked Job very directly in obvious ways. But the way that Satan generally operates is with deceit. He is the deceiver, the accuser, the father of lies. And we see that in this passage when it says the schemes of the devil. The way that he's described here is one who's crafty. He's wily. He, he looks to trick people. Satan may not attack you in an obvious way. In fact, he probably won't. It's his MO to subvert God's authority and God's word in a way that's designed to trick you and disguise the real harm that he's doing to you. So schemes and lying and deceit, that's been his primary method since the Garden of Eden. So in your life, this will likely come in a subtle doubting of something that you see in scripture, um, a doubting of some truth that point, someone points out to you in your life. There is this draw to disregard some parts of scripture that aren't helpful for you or, or you don't see as relevant or that would cause you to do something that you don't want to do. It could come in a feeling that sin is not that bad, that pursuing holiness is legalistic, that everyone else is doing it and God will surely understand. It's those kinds of things. And all the while you should be hearing in the background, just echoing in the back of your mind, the voice of Satan saying, did God really say, and you will not surely die, the same things that he's been saying since the beginning. Now, one of the primary deceptions that Satan can seed in our minds is that there is no spiritual war going on, that you don't need to equip the armor of God, that you don't need to resist temptation, and that you can do whatever you wish. These are all variations of the same tactic. So Satan will set the bait, he will set the snare, and scriptures speak with certainty about that. And here's the kicker. If it were up to you, no matter how smart you are, you would fall for it. You would take his bait. You would fall into his snare, and you would get hit by his flaming arrows. 
you would not and could not withstand his attack unless you put on the armor of God. See, you're not going to outsmart Satan. The best that you would be able to do is fight with the tools of flesh and blood. But guess what? You're not in a war of flesh and blood. So doing spiritual battle with fleshly tools is a losing proposition because Satan's not made of flesh and blood. It's as foolish as if you were trying to fight coronavirus with guns and bullets. And that might sound silly, but consider how many times that you attempt to address spiritual issues with fleshly solutions. I just need to get more sleep. That's why I'm so cranky. Or this person isn't responding well to counsel, so I just need to reframe how I say it. I just need to get better at managing my schedule. Then I would have enough time to shepherd my family better. I need to eat better. I need to exercise more. I need to be better at managing emails because that will fix everything. So that list comes from things that I found myself believing. And perhaps you found yourself believing similar things too. So look, guys, your adversary is not just anyone. Your adversary has been at this for a very, very long time. And he is intimately familiar with the heart of man. He knows exactly which levers to pull, which buttons to push that will appeal to the body of flesh that still remains in you. And he knows exactly which lies to tell you, how to phrase them, to get you to take your eyes off of truth. That's your enemy. And he's also not alone. Our adversary has legions of demons and demonic forces that influence our world. Um, back in Ephesians 2, we're reminded that we once followed the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience. All of that describes the power that Satan has over our present world. And verse 12 of our passage describes way more than just a singular entity of Satan or the devil, because his influence is working through the entire world systems and in spiritual places that we're not even aware of. We're up against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. John MacArthur states that Satan works against believers by developing a world system in which the believer must live that brings temptation to bear on their flesh. Guys, we're dealing with things here that are way above our intellect way above our comprehension, way above our efforts to manage them. We're not just fighting a supernatural enemy. It's more like a full-on supernatural military here. So what are we to do against such a formidable enemy when there is a war for our souls raging around us when the stakes are so high? When we go to verse 13, therefore, meaning because you're up against an enemy that you cannot possibly begin to fight, take up the whole armor of God. Because if it's you against Satan, with his legions and his systems that have taken over the world that you live in, you, you better have some help. And thankfully you do. And not just any help. You actually have perfect help from above. And I know over the past, you know, 15 minutes or so, I painted a pretty dire picture of the spiritual threat that we're all under. And that's true, but it shouldn't diminish the comprehensive 
effectiveness of the help that we have from God. We have protection, and through this protection, though this protection, it can't stop us from being attacked, and it won't stop us from being attacked, I should say, you can rest assured that we have every resource to withstand that attack. We have help that can't fail, and it will not fail, unless, unless, and here's the caveat, unless you neglect to take it up and put it on. So we need to put down the tools of our flesh, and we need to, pull, we need to put on the whole armor of God. And that's our last point of our outline here. We need to stand firm with the armor of God. So according to this passage, how do you obtain the armor of God? How do you obtain the armor of God? Now, um, since we're dealing with two parallel verses here in, in verse 11 and verse 13, in um, verse 11, he says to put it on. In verse 13, he says to take it up. In both cases, and I want you guys to pay attention to this, in both cases, Paul essentially assumes that you already have the armor of God. So Paul here, he's writing to the Ephesian church. And if they're truly in Christ, they don't need to go out and go on some kind of quest to obtain the armor of God. They've already got it. They just have to put it on. And if you're a believer today, you have access to the whole armor of God. You're not missing any piece of it. You just need to equip yourself with it. So I won't dive into the specific pieces of armor because we're going to have plenty of time to do that in the upcoming Logos sessions. But Paul writes in a way here that is meant to communicate to us that if we want to stand firm, we need to put on this full armor. We can't stand firm without it. We don't stand a chance. Spiritual attack from a spiritual adversary on a spiritual battleground, it needs spiritual provision. And that's what we've been given in Christ. So get your armor on. And then what are we called to do? What are we called to do here? One of the recurring phrases here, recurring callings in this passage is, we need to stand. We're called to stand. So we see these words all over the place. Stand, stand firm, stand against. The idea here is just planting yourself in a certain position and not wavering from that position, even though there are forces that act to move you. So we don't need to win the war right now. And I want to be careful with that language here, right? We, don't, we aren't called here to necessarily win the war because, in fact, we know that the war is already won in the end. If we read, continue to read our scriptures all the way through the book of Revelation, Christ will win. Our calling is not to defeat Satan once and for all here. No, our calling and our responsibility is to be obedient to the scriptures, put on the armor of God, and stand firm as Christ's church. So when we're dealing with spiritual warfare, you don't have to go looking for a fight. Just strive to live in the ways that have been outlined in the book of Ephesians, walking in, in new life, walking in a manner worthy of your calling. Just live in that way and don't worry, the fight will come to you. So 
Paul's wording here implies that Satan is the aggressor. We're the ones who will be attacked, and we're called to endure it, to persevere, and to stand firm. So we're not necessarily called to avoid it or live our lives in such a way that we will never encounter spiritual opposition. I don't even think that is possible. But we're called to endure the force of it when it comes and just remain standing because we've entrusted ourselves to God's protection. In James 4, 7, that verse tells us to resist the devil and he will flee from us. Just resist him. And that's actually the same word as standing firm. Just hold, don't break. That's what we're called to do. We are to endure in the evil day. And um, without getting into it too much, that evil day is right now. It's not a command for tomorrow or for when things get really bad in the future. It's for right now. Because as we discussed earlier, we're not currently in peacetime preparing for an upcoming war. We're already on the battlefield right now. So we better have our armor on. That last phrase, having done it all, to stand firm. So in the latter half of Ephesians, we've all been given commands to walk in the Spirit. And for each person to fulfill the calling that God has for their specific roles. And we need to strive towards those things. But in the end, what matters is whether or not you're still standing. So in the course of following Christ, you can do all sorts of things for the church and um, for, for the cause of, uh, of Christ's gospel. But um, I've known pastors, and I've known ministry leaders, and I've known missionaries um, who for a season seem to devote themselves to the work of Christ could have convinced me. But in the end, they left Christ and they no longer followed him. They didn't remain standing. You can teach, you can preach, you can lead Bible studies, you can do evangelistic outreach, you can serve in mercy ministries or lead worship or help run AV and sound. All of those things are excellent things. But if you're not standing at the end, if you haven't persevered to the end, then it doesn't matter. So after doing all that Christ has called you to do, and after having produced the fruit that you're called to bear, stand firm, stay faithful until he returns. Um, so, I mean, the teaching time here is 40 minutes. We're about two minutes away from that. But I, I just do want to offer a few concluding thoughts here. Um, right now, many of you, many of us, we're experiencing a sense of urgency because of a real and present threat of COVID-19. And as such, we're all taking the appropriate actions and the appropriate precautions because we understand the dangers. Now, the danger of COVID-19, as real and as threatening as it is, it's not any more threatening than the spiritual warfare that we are in every single day. So our response to this virus has been very radical from what I've seen. We've stopped our normal lives. We've made all of these sacrifices. We've given up our freedoms and conveniences to protect ourselves from this imminent threat that could be anywhere around us. But if we're honest with ourselves, however, our response to the imminent and real spiritual threat that we're in 
it hasn't matched up. Now, we know what we need to do against the spiritual danger. We need to put on the armor of God. But if we don't do it because it would be too disruptive to our normal lives, because it would require sacrifice, because it would require us to give up certain freedoms and conveniences, if we're not willing to put on the armor of God in spiritual war because of those reasons, but we're willing to do that for these physical reasons that we're experiencing now, what does that tell us about how much we care about our own spiritual well-being? I mean, that's revealing and something that I need to evaluate my own heart in as well. Because how many of us, if we had an N95 mask and we had to go into a coronavirus ward, how many of us would not put it on? How many of us, given the whole armor of God, though, walk into spiritual battle daily without putting it on? How many of us, if we were surrounded by infected people, would not do what it takes to social distance ourselves from them? And given enough room, we would probably take much more than six feet. But how many of us get close to sin and play with temptation and constantly ask, where is this six-foot boundary so that I can get as close as possible to it? It's very different, isn't it? So, brothers and sisters, if we are willing to suffer all of these setbacks, and make these sacrifices to preserve our physical well-being, why haven't we been willing to do so for our spiritual well-being? And let me remind you, I don't think I need to remind you, but let me remind you that our spiritual well-being matters far more than our physical well-being. And we have the armor. It's not like it's in short supply. We are in immense danger, but we have the perfect protection. All we need to do is put it on regardless of how it might inconvenience us to do so. So those are just some final thoughts for us. Um, Let's pray, just thanking the Lord for his provision. Father God, um, we're just thankful, Lord, for your word. We thank you for um, just providing your inspiration to the Apostle Paul to write these words um, that we could be warned and that we could be alerted to just the spiritual war that we're in. Now, we're not just playing on um, on a plane of things that we can see and things that we can deal with and things that we can manage with the tools of flesh and blood, but we're dealing with things that are far above our heads, that are far above our capabilities and ability to handle. Father God, we, we thank you so much that we have provision, that you've given us every spiritual resource in the heavenly places, and you've given us all these pieces of armor that can protect us perfectly from these spiritual attacks. And Father, as we learn more about these pieces of armor, I just pray that we would treasure them, Lord, that instead of ignoring them or disregarding them, that we would really treasure these things and that we would seek to put them on, equip them, Lord, so that we might be preserved in that spiritual war that we are all in. And Father, I pray for all of us that just as Paul prayed that we would know the power that raised Christ from the dead, that we would know this power as well because you have offered it and given it uh, to, to each of us, Lord. And it is our lifeline and it is our um, protection, Lord, in a time where there is so much danger around us. So thank you, Father, for that provision. And I just pray for our church that we would really embrace and, and know that power uh, that you have given to us, Lord.
So thank you again, Father, for your word, which is true, that we can rely on, that we can trust in. And just pray for the rest of this evening, wherever people may be, uh, however people uh, might be feeling, Lord. I pray that you would protect us all health-wise, but more so than that, that you would protect us all spiritually, Lord. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so we are going to try um, just leaving the time open for the next however many minutes for a time of a question and answer. So if you have any questions about the passage, uh, about any of these things, we would just want to leave that time open for you all. Um, and I do believe that there is a little bit of a delay. So um, uh, from the time that you're hearing this to the time that um, um, you're typing in your questions could be a little bit of a delay. So we'll, we'll do our best to manage that, but um, we'll open it up for a time of questions and I'll hang around here uh, waiting for those. And you know, if we go for a little while and we sort of run dry on questions, then we can uh, use that to, uh, as a signal to end our time. All right, look, looks like we have a question. So um, go ahead. Maybe you're probably typing it uh, as we speak. So again, trying to manage the, the little bit of a time lag that we have here. So the question is uh, more so of a logistical question. Are there any small group discussion questions that we can discuss about? Um, we, I can send out some questions and make sure that you guys get those um, afterwards. Since we weren't planning on having small groups um, directly during this time, uh, the questions that we did have prepared were more around um, geared around observation of the passage but uh, I can send out some discussion questions afterwards that can be a little bit more application focused rather than um, focused on, you know, asking questions and observations of the text um, itself. So yeah, I think it'd be um, great for your guys' Logos small groups, whether you guys are uh, meeting later this week or you guys are meeting next week, it would be good for you guys to have um, some questions um, that you can uh, really use to exhort one another and to really examine ourselves. So uh, definitely um, I will make sure that those we um, put together some discussion questions and send those out. Thanks for the question. Any other questions? So the question has come in, how do we practically be strong in the Lord? Great question. Um, so we have provision from the Lord. And that provision, we will learn more specifically uh, later on uh, in this passage. But just to give us maybe like a little bit of a sneak preview, and if you guys wouldn't mind turning in your Bibles, um, or you guys are probably already there. Um, in verse 14, so we're moving a little bit ahead. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirits with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So 
we do have all this imagery, all the symbolism of different aspects of our of our Christian walk that we can equip on ourselves. So where we have a reference to the belt of truth. Um, so believing truth rather than a lie. Um, as we discussed, Satan is a deceiver and he seeks to twist God's truth. But for us to, um, to remember God's truth and remind each other of God's truth, that's, those are ways that we can fasten that on. Um, putting on the breastplate of righteousness, really pursuing righteousness. And I think that's what we hope to keep each other accountable for to pursue righteousness rather than evil and sin in our lives and not brushing off those things, um, putting on readiness given by the gospel of peace. So always keeping at the forefront of our minds, the facts that, you know, we are saved by this gospel, meditating on that. And it really does come with, you know, faith. You know, we can take up this armor, we can equip the strength of the Lord just through faith in him and trust in him. So there are definitely means of grace that the Lord has given us in accountability with one another, speaking truth and love to one another, our times in the word and in prayer. Those are all practical ways that we can exercise this command to be strong in the Lord. But ultimately, even that, it's not about us. I mean, there, there is some debate here over be strong in the Lord. Is that an active command? Is that a passive command? I mean, things are kind of leaning towards it being what they call a passive command, meaning that it's something that is done to you. So it's something that we need to rely on for that strength. And the only person we can rely on is the Lord. Okay. We have a um, question on what are the, the different distinctions of the powers at play in verse 12? Rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil. Is the distinction between these important? Um, so this is one where I'm going to say that I don't have the definitive answer on. Um, all of these things are um, aspects of the influence that the evil one has in a world. Now, some of these things like cosmic power, spiritual forces of evil, they're completely above us. Some people believe that when it talks about rulers and authorities, it is specifically speaking about earthly institutions. And while it's certainly true that um, Satan has influence in earthly institutions and um, has some influence there, um, we also know that the primary direction and the primary takeaway from this passage is to distinguish these things from flesh and blood, right? So flesh and blood dealing with human people, things like that. But this is trying to take that to a different level, that there are things going on in the, in the cosmic realms that we don't even understand um, that are affecting us, right? So there probably is some, there are some nuances of distinction between these things. Um, I don't believe that Paul would have mentioned all these things outright, separate from each other, unless there were distinctions between them. But unfortunately, I don't have the, you know, all the exact um, specifics about, you know, what's the difference between rulers and authorities, right? But we are clearly dealing with things that are on a spiritual or cosmic plane that is different than uh, what we see around us because all of these things are put before us as opposed to or in contrast to flesh and blood. So that's the main distinction to take away from this. Okay, so we will wait a little bit longer for a few questions to come in.
Okay, so it does seem that the questions have uh, tailed off. Okay, I see one here. What is the evil day in verse 13 referring to? Okay, um, so the evil day, um, you know, I think there can be some differences um, in the interpretation here for what the evil day is referring to. But given the urgency of Paul's command and this reference to um, the evil day, let me just pull up the passage again so I can read it. Um, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, right? Um, it is in parallel with verse 11, which is which says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, some people will say that the evil day refers to a future day. Um, when things get really bad, some people could even say that this is referring to the tribulation or something like that, right? Um, but given that the exact same command to take up the armor of God you know, we need to take up the armor of God so that we can stand. Um, that's something that we need to do now, right? The command in both verses is the same and it applies to us now. So that leads me to believe that the evil day is referring to right now, um, that we are currently in those times. And I think there is some room for people to um, study their scriptures um, there. But as far as my study has gone, uh, the evil day is referring to the time period that we are currently in right now. Because, you know, we read about, even back in Ephesians 2, um, if I turn to Ephesians 2, and it talks about, you know, what we used to belong to. Um, we Ephesians 2, 1, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So when it talks about following the course of this world, it does so assuming that there is evil there. And that also kind of lends credence to the um, idea that the evil day is something that we're currently experiencing, um, something that we were even a part of that system um, before we were saved. But I'd be happy to listen to arguments otherwise um, if there is strong evidence that the evil day is actually referring to a future time period. But just from what I'm seeing here, it appears to be the current time. Okay, so we have a few more questions. Uh, can you clarify being strong in the Lord is something that is passive and done to us since verse 13? Take up the full armor of God seems to imply that this is more active than passive. Yeah, that's absolutely true and a good observation. Um, yeah, just the, the, the way that the, the grammar plays out with that command to be strong in the Lord um, can be taken as a passive. It is something that is provided to us. And it, it's sort of, you can say it's be strengthened, right? be strengthened by something that is outside of yourself. So there are actually both aspects of it. Um, we are given the resources, we are given the armor of God, and we are called to take those things up. But those are things that are given to us, and we would not have access to them um, without the work of God. And those things can really only be taken up in faith. And we don't have anything within ourselves that can you know, muster up or produce or generate the faith Faith is a gift from the Lord to take up these things. 
Um, so yeah, there is a little bit of a both and there going on. And it is one of these things that um, there is a passive element to it, but there's also an active element that we're commanded to do as well. So I think there is both there. Um, there is also a question, can you provide some clarification regarding verse 12 of not wrestling against flesh and blood and uh, crucifying the flesh with its passions and desires? Is this referring to the same flesh? Um, that is a very good question. Just my initial thoughts on that is that uh, verse 12 in this passage, talking about wrestling against flesh and blood, it's to communicate that we're not... Um, our fight and our war isn't against human people. Whereas crucifying the flesh with its passions and desires is really dealing more with a remaining reality uh, effects of the fall uh, within our own flesh, right? So in one sense, it, in the first, it's talking so uh, more about opposition um, against uh, outside forces. Whereas um, the passage that you bring up there in terms of crucifying the flesh with its passion and desires, that's more of kind of an internal thing. Um, so that's what I'm seeing here, but that's something I'm definitely gonna have to look into a little bit more, um, whether or not it's referring to the same flesh. But uh, another question. I like this one. Is it possible to distinguish whether a temptation or an attack is from our flesh, the devil, or even from the world? Can it be all three? And uh, absolutely, I believe that all three can be involved. I do believe that the devil also uses um, aspects of our flesh um, and bring the temptation to our, our own sinful flesh. Um, so yes, absolutely. Um, I do think that it can be all three. And to, to be able to distinguish um, I would say that we need to rely on our scriptures for that and what scriptures tell us. I don't think we can tell from any sort of subjective feeling um, what something is coming from. Um, I don't think we have that revelation from just how we feel about something to know for certain. But um, just to kind of address, uh, you alluded to this already, um, the command is to put on the armor of God. So the directive for us um, isn't necessarily to be able to distinguish this, that, or the other thing, although you know that could be something that we can seek the scriptures for to see if there is a way to determine that and what things we can look for. But primarily the call here is to stand um, and is to put on the armor of God so that we can stand, whether that is coming from the world or the devil or our own flesh. Those are things we're called to walk in the light. And the way that we can do that is, is to use every spiritual resource that has been given to us um, in Christ through faith. So our actions don't necessarily really change. Um, we're, we're given the, those tools, um, but it absolutely can be all three. And you know, even thinking about our current situation, our current circumstances, okay, is this whole pandemic thing, is that spiritual warfare? Is this something from the hand of Satan? Well, I believe that spiritual warfare is always occurring um, and the circumstances that we experience can definitely be used um, to attack us in a spiritual way. And I'm sure that Satan would want to do that. I mean, sometimes Satan can attack directly. We see that in the book of Job. Um, and it says that, you know, 
Satan was the one who afflicted Job with certain things and caused all these bad things to happen to him. Um, but we also know that God himself, he can bring about calamity and he is sovereign. He has authority over that. So that can come from the Lord himself. Um, so I don't think we can always necessarily distinguish, oh, this is the work of Satan. Oh, this is the work of God. I think we need to be careful there. Um, but at the same time, the directions that were given and the, um, the commands that were given here are to put on the armor of God, stand firm, be strong in the Lord. But thank you for the question. Well, this is good. Um, this is more lively than I thought it would be, so I'm enjoying that. So if there are any other questions, please feel free to, to ask them. I can't guarantee that I'll have the answer for them, um, but I can certainly um, share anything that I've learned in my study of this passage with you all. Okay, so um, I'll hang out here for maybe another minute longer or so. Um, if you guys have any questions, uh, feel free to surface them. But um, if I don't see any come in in the next minute or so, um, then I will close this off. Okay, do you have thoughts on cross-references like 1 Thessalonians 5.8? Let me look that up. First Thessalonians 5, 8. Um, let me just read a little bit before that too. Okay, this is speaking about the day of the Lord. Um, picking it up from, let's say, verse 4. You are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do. But let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that we, whether we are asleep or awake, we might live with him. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, this is an interesting passage. It definitely references a lot of the same things. Um, it is speaking specifically about a the day of the Lord that is coming, uh, that we don't know when it's going to be coming. And this passage speaks more to, you know, the readiness that we need to have, which I do believe our passage um, in Ephesians talks about as well. Um, it's referring that, yeah, we need to, you know, stand firm and we need to have the, or the armor on um, and yes, there is a day of the Lord that is looming uh, there, but I, I do think that there is a connection and there's a relationship here. So um, I won't speak too much more about First uh, Thessalonians 5, 8, just uh, I haven't spent the time studying that, but I do believe that there are related concepts there. Um, that one more from a perspective of, hey, be ready and have these things equipped because you don't know you know, when the day of the Lord is coming, whereas this one is more that we're under attack right now and we need to have these things on for protection um, as we endure the battle now and again until that day comes. So I do think that even in this passage, there is um, an anticipation of when we won't have to fight anymore um, and when the return of Christ is coming.
Okay, so um, I am going to start wrapping up here, unless I see something pop up. Um, uh, just as a follow-up, I will send out a few discussion questions uh, at some point afterwards. I'll get them posted on the Logos uh, Facebook page and um, the other medium that we have, just so that it can help you uh, in your small group times, um, either later this week or in the following weeks. And uh, let me just close our time in another word of prayer. Father God, we thank you again so much for um, not leaving us undefended, unprotected in the spiritual war, Lord. We know that there is so much that is uh, above us um, that is going on, um, and it can be overwhelming, Lord, but it's overwhelming if we forget you. It's overwhelming if we neglect every spiritual resource that we've been given. It's overwhelming if we don't realize that we have the armor of God, and you've offered that to us, and you've given that to us, Lord, and we can take it up by faith, Lord. So we thank you for that. I pray for everybody here um, that we would really turn our hearts and turn our attention to equipping ourselves in your word, uh, defending ourselves with truth, Lord, just as even Christ himself um, demonstrated for us, Lord, when he was tempted, that he defended um, against those attacks with truth, with scripture. Um and did not fall prey to the lies and deceit and the schemes of the devil. So that's what I ask for all of us, that we would know that power that raised Christ from the dead and that we'd be protected from the spiritual war and that we would stand firm that in the last day we would be a church that would be known to have persevered, um, persevered through whatever spiritual opposition that we faced. So thank you for your promises, Lord. Thank you for the promises that, um, that if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. And we thank you for just giving us hope, Lord, when there is so much despair around us right now. So thank you again for all these things in this time. In Christ's name, amen. All right, guys. Well, have a good rest of your evening. Thanks for joining us um, tonight. And yeah, we'll you'll hear um, about some discussion questions in a little bit. All right. See you guys.